Well, this morning we are in, I think it's our fourth or third, I think it's the fourth sermon, dealing with the topic, what is, and today's sermon topic is, what is faith? And I want to just take a minute this morning before we actually get into the the text of my sermon and give you a chance to catch up with me, because I've been thinking about this all week. We've talked all service long about trust, faith, faithfulness, belief. But what is faith? What are the requirements for faith? How do you recognize when one is exhibiting faith? Do all people have faith? These are all questions that I have mulled over, thought about, um, chewed on, And I have what I hope is something that's interesting, not boring, uh, to present to you this morning. But one of the things that you need to know is that in order to bring everyone onto the same page, in other words, bring everyone up to the same level, we may be talking at the very beginning on just some things that are basic, basic, basic. And you may go, this is boring. But bear with me, because by the end, I believe all of us will be challenged at some point. So, first of all, if I were to ask you for a synonym, and it doesn't have to be one word, it can be a few, a phrase, but what would you say if somebody said to you, what is faith? I've heard the word before, but I really don't know what it means. What is faith? What would you say to them? You say it louder. I can't hear you. Trust in God. Trust in God. A belief. uh, Did you say belief in something? Okay. Letting go of fear. Okay. Hope. Hope. Believing without doubt. Believing without doubt. Okay. Trusting. Trusting that he's going to take care of you. So, in other words, trusting God. Okay. Just say this too will pass. Say this too will pass. So there's a. a, a this, there's going to be a better tomorrow. So there's a hope then. Okay. Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not say. Cheated, you went to the Bible. <laughs> we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there. <laughs> Bob just read out of Hebrews 11.1, which we will get to in a few minutes. Let me show you some of the verses that I did find in the Bible that talked about what faith is. Okay, First of all, 1 John chapter 4.16. We don't have time this morning to read all of this, but if somebody could... Actually, let's take the time. I think it's important that we go ahead and read it. Somebody grab a Bible, because I forgot to bring mine. Isn't that crazy? Your pastor didn't bring his Bible with him. I have my electronic Bible, but I don't want to open it up right now. Go ahead and turn somebody to 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. Right at the end of the Bible, right just before Revelations. After Hebrews, after James, after 1 and 2 Peter. 1 John chapter 4, 16. And so we know in the line of the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Okay, and so we know and rely on what it, God has for us. 
So we know and rely on the love that God has for us. We know that God is love and blah, 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 blah. So there's, what, do you, what do you see there that we know and rely on? Why do you think I chose rely on as opposed to know? For a synonym for faith. So there's a difference between knowing and trusting, or knowing. I don't, I, I rely on when I get my car when it says that there's gas in it. I rely on that that little indicator, but I don't necessarily go look at my gas tank to see if the gas is actually in there. Okay. I think God wants us to depend on Him and not anyone else. Okay. The difference between relying on God and a person. There's a significant difference, definitely. Let's look at 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12. Somebody read that one. 2 Timothy 1, 12. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom, whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard I know whom I have believed, and I, what did you, what, how did you say in yours? I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to God, for I have entrusted to him until that day. So, I am convinced. Faith is being convinced. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs of our, them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is unseen is temporary, but what is, uh, what, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So, I, I say that a synonym for faith in this section is that we fix our eyes on what is unseen. Next one. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Just a little bit after what we just read. Look at 5, 7. Somebody read that for us. For we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. I chose the words blind trust. And the last one. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. Galatians is the very next book after 2 Corinthians. And it says, By faith we eagerly await through the Spirit of the righteousness for which we hope. 
By faith we eagerly await, and so I put eagerly await as a possible synonym for the word faith. So rely on convinced, fix our eyes not on what fix our eyes on what is unseen, a blind trust, eagerly await. Do you see anything anything that might be a commonality among all of these different phrases or words? Not seeing. Believing without seeing. seeing. Trusting. Trusting. Okay. Let's bring it down to more basic as far as English 101. Are these nouns, adjectives, verbs, adverbs? What are they? They're verbs. They're all actions. These are all actions. Remember what I said to the kids? When did David start trusting Isaac? While he was standing still or when he actually began falling backwards. The act of trust, the act of faith, was an action. It wasn't static. And I would submit to us that faith, when trying to understand what is faith, faith is an action. It is a verb. It is not a state of being, if you will. Let's move on. That was the first of six or seven topics. We aren't going to go very fast this morning. <laughs> uh, what is faith? If you look at the, Debs, the, the word Webster's Dictionary, it says, belief and trust and loyalty to God. It also says, belief in traditional doctrines. It also says, firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Also, it says, complete trust. And finally, it says, strong conviction. All five of these definitions were under the term faith in the Webster's 10th edition of the Collegiate Dictionary. Belief and trust and loyalty to God, firm belief in something for which there is no proof, complete trust, strong conviction, belief in traditional doctrines. So there's trust in there, there's belief in there, um, seems to be God-related. But is it God-focused? Or is it... Let, let's start again. Is it God-focused or self-focused, first of all? Are, okay, if, if, it, if faith is an action, who's doing the acting? We are. And who is the object of our action? God is. So... If somebody has to exercise or to, uh, to act out faith, it's not God that has to, it's us that have to. So we are acting out faith toward God. So all of these definitions that we see in Webster are strong conviction about what God said to be true. Complete trust in God and His Word. Firm belief in something for which there's no proof, God. You see, it's an action that I take in relation to my belief about God and His Word and what He says to me. What else is faith? What does the Bible have to say? Okay, Bob, here we go. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, 1, the most easy to point at definition, scriptural definition of the, of the word of faith. It is, go ahead, Bob. Uh, being sure of what we hope for and certain for what we do not see. Okay. It is also 
believing God in all circumstances. Romans 4.17. Let's look at that one. That's an interesting thing to come up with out of Romans 4.17. Because you won't find those words in Romans 4.17. Let me read to you. 4.17 says... As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom we believed and God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Let me read that to you one more time. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. God is, Paul is referring to what God said about Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God. Abraham is the father of the Israelites inside of me, in whom we believed, the God who gives life to the dead, and the God who calls things that are not as though they are. God calls things that are not yet as though they are. You see, if God says to you, today, thief on the cross, you will be with me in paradise. There is no physical proof of what he said. It doesn't exist yet, but you can bank on it. Why? Because of the nature and character of God. God never lies. God is always truthful. God is love. He would never do anything harmful to you. So if he declares something over you, you can trust it. You can believe it. You can bank on it. You can invest in something because of God declaring it over you. God declaring something that is not yet, you can trust that it will be. Again, it's me acting out a trust, a dependence, a belief in what God himself has said. Now the dilemma comes in, did God say it? Or did someone else tell you what they thought God said? And that's where your discernment has to come in. That's where you have to have a relationship with God. And see, talking about the Bible, I mean, what faith is, God read for us um, this verse out of, out of uh, chapter 11, of, of verse 1. It said that it was... Faith is being sure of what you cannot see. Faith is, um, uh, is believing in. If you were to have to write your own definition of the word faith, not using the Bible, not using the Webster's Dictionary, if you were just forced in your own self, if God said to you, write out what faith is, what would you say? And I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I need somebody to write this down. Somebody write it in your notes because we have to refer back to it and I don't have a pen with me. Yes, I do. What would you say? I need you to help me to write out or to, to, to think through what is faith? A working definition of what is faith? Giving, when you say giving it to God, giving what to God? 
Okay. Someone else. Faith is a gift from God that He teaches you how to use. Interesting. We're going to talk about that later on. Gift is from God that God teaches us. So it's something we get from God, you're saying? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Faith is just another word for trust. Faith is trust. Or is another word. I mean, it, it's faith. When you trust, um, you have to, to trust in, in, God's, in God's faith. Faith. He has given us. In his words, the Bible, he's given us the faith that when you lean on him, no matter what may come in your life, that he's going to be with you. Okay. It's, go ahead. Someone else? Faith is knowing in your heart and believing in the depths of your being with all of you. Fully convinced. A hundred percent, no reservation. You'll die for him if he tells you that he needs you to die. You don't know how. You don't know why it's good. But if he calls you to die, you're willing to die. Fully convinced. Fully knowing and trusting and depending on. I think believing and doing, acting out on it, acting on that thing. Um, even though logic, human logic... Screams otherwise. So acting illogical, whether logic make whether it makes sense or not. Acting whether it makes sense or not. Right. Okay. All right. Let's let's. Yeah. I've been tested this week, and it's a lot of play and decisions. And I have
Look at this. Why is it important that Christians have faith? Think about that for just a second and we'll talk about what the scripture is saying. Why is it important that you have faith? We have faith in very survivors and so having faith is a is a way of survival. Dana and then Renee. You did you have something? Okay. Renee? This is not my definition of why it comes down to someone said. Um, faith is obeying the revealed will of God and trusting Him for the results. Obeying the revealed will of God and trusting Him for the results. And I want this because I have faith in Him and He may not do what I think or what I want, but I have to trust Him that what He's doing is, is, is for my good. Okay. Dana? We live in a very difficult world. We're facing all kinds of evils. You know, we've got everyone on this earth that we work with or deal with or whatever. Um, you know, they don't walk the same walk. They don't talk the same talk. They don't have anyone else to rely on except themselves. And they walk around carrying all their burdens and everything on their shoulders. I mean, even as a Christian, we care we tend to do that. Mm-hmm. Especially when we're the oldest of five kids or whatever the case may be. Um, um, and having faith um, when no one else believes in you, you got God that believes in you. And knowing that someone sees your heart and your mind and knows you better than anyone else, just knowing that, even if you can't see him, I, I've had moments in my life where God has been the only thing. And, and because this, it's a lonely world out there. You don't have your parents to rely on, they're gone, they're deceased, and you don't have anyone else. You always, 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 always have God. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Look at what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What is it? What else does it say? I think that's the end of it. I, I, don't, I don't have it in front of me. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So why should Christians have faith? Well, number one, in order to have a right relationship with God, you have to have faith. It is the foundation. Excellent. Number two, Psalm 125.1. Psalm 125.1 says, I will remember to bring my Bible next week. Well, I have it I have it on my iPad, and that's how I usually do it, but I'm also using that for my notes for my sermon, so it's kind of awkward. 125.1 says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which can never be shaken, but endures forever. So faith provides stability to one's life. We go back to what Paul, what, the, what the Mike just said. It's the foundation. If you have faith and trust in God, you cannot be shaken. It's like Dana's been saying. No matter what comes your way, if you know that you know that you know that you know, and if you're acting in your faith and walking in that faith, 
You cannot be dissuaded. You have a solid, right relationship with God and you're stable. There is no turning around. If you truly have 100% fully devoted, deep, deep, deep down in who you are, belief and trust and knowledge. Being grounded with God. That's excellent. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths or He will make your path straight as some, direct, as some versions say. In this section of scriptures, we're, we're taught that faith provides one with the direction for your life path. So you have to have faith. Why be a Christian? Why does a Christian have to have faith? Number one, you have to have faith because you've got to have faith to have a right relationship with God. Number two, you have to have faith for stability. To found, it's the foundational part of your life. And finally, it gives you the direction that you need to go. It's how God communicates with us because you can know something but until you know and act on that knowledge, faith, knowing is nothing. It is what Christianity is. You can't have Christianity without faith. Excuse me. It's your very own GPS. It's your very own GPS. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. What demonstrations of faith do you think Jesus found exemplary? And let me tell you, before we start scrambling around guessing at things, if you do a word search, you will only find, regardless of what translation you look at, you will only find two people in all of the Gospels that Jesus said, you have great faith. Nope. The woman who touched his robe. Nope, he did not tell her she had great faith. Jesus, okay, it's not my daughter, but my servant, but the centurion, that's number one. You're almost there. There's either a man or a woman, so yeah. It was <laughs> yeah, there was a woman that was running after him. Even the dogs, exactly. Even the dogs. The, the two that Jesus said you have great faith was the Canaanite woman, some versions will say the Syrophoenician woman, and the Roman centurion. And there are various versions of these stories in the various Gospels, but the ones we're going to look at this morning are uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28, and Luke 7, 1 to 10. Now, I am not going to take time this morning to read those stories. Let me just give you a general synopsis. In the, in the story of the Canaanite woman... <clears throat> Jesus has gone up to a place called Tyre and Sidon, which is outside of the nation of Israel because he needs a rest. He needs to get away from all of the ministry he's been doing. He's brought his disciples with them so that they can get away. And while they're walking along, whether it's on the beach or whether it's in the street or somewhere, this woman has heard that Jesus, who is known as the Messiah, is in her neighborhood and she has a daughter that's demon-possessed and she's desperate for help. And she comes running up to him and she says, Lord... Son of David, my daughter has a demon and I need you to heal her. Now, number one, she called him a messianic title. She's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. She's a pagan. But she's calling him the Messiah. 
Whether or not she fully understood all of the import of that, she is acknowledging verbally that he is the Messiah, the Anointed One, by calling him the Son of David. Number two in this, Jesus says to her, first of all, he ignores her in the story, and she keeps badgering, and then the disciples say, tell her to get out of here. She won't stop it. And he doesn't say directly to her, he just says in her presence, I have been sent to the children of Israel. And he's quoting, actually he's referring to the, the idea of the shepherd in, uh, <clears throat> I believe it's Isaiah, uh, it's either Isaiah or Ezekiel, I don't remember now, because I don't, it's, it's not my notes, but it was in my studying. Um, and what he's doing is he's saying to her, essentially, he's saying to his disciples, he's not saying it to her directly, saying to his disciples, my mission, my role, God has intently sent me to the children of Israel, that's what my focus is. No place else, no one else. And she says, but Lord, please, please, my daughter. And finally, he looks at her and he says, it would be inappropriate to give the food that was intended for the children to the dogs. Now, he is not calling her a dog, okay? Because back then, and even today, Jewish people will call Gentile people dogs, meaning roping packs of, of wild animals that are just devouring and feasting on things that are just nasty and dirty. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the household pet, the loved member of the family, the one who sits under the table. When mom places the food on the table, when the family gets together for the food, they don't open up a chair and say, come on up, Fido. Okay? Fido's present. Fido is welcome, but Fido doesn't get fed. Fido gets what's left over. And Jesus said, it would be inappropriate for me to take the food that has been destined or intended for the children of Israel and feed it to the dogs. And she looks at him and she's using exactly the same scenario that he says. She says, yeah, but the dogs get the scraps. And Jesus looks at her and he, from the words that she said, he stops and he looks at her and he says, you have incredible faith. What you've asked for will be done for you. Now, I can't explain exactly what, when, why, and how. I can just tell you, Jesus saw that as an example of incredible faith, and he held her up to the rest of his people saying, that's what I want from you people. That right there is what I need from you people. Let's look at the centurion. The centurion was a Roman centurion, and if you read in the book of Luke, he was a friend of the Jews. He came there, assigned assignment from Rome, and he came there, and he built a synagogue for the community. And he is in held in high regard by the elders of the community. And he literally sends his elders, the elders of the community, to Jesus and says, Would you please ask the, the master if he would have my servant be healed? Because the centurion doesn't feel worthy of going himself to Jesus. Jesus then says, I'll come. And when the master finds out, the centurion finds out that Jesus is coming, he then sends word again. No, 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 no. You don't have to come to my house. I understand authority. I'm a man who's been in a position of authority. And I, when I say something, the people who are under me, they do what they're supposed to do. There's no argument. There's no fuss. There's no fight. All you have to do is speak the word and it will happen. Because I understand that you have authority beyond anything that I could ever hope for. And I trust that your word is strong enough that you just speak it, it'll happen. And Jesus looks again at his disciples. Because Jesus never got into the centurion's house, folks. If you read the story, Jesus never met face to face with the centurion. And he says to his people, 
Do you understand what we're seeing here? Do you understand the depth of this man's faith? And this is what I'm expecting from you, people. Jesus commends the centurion for his humble faith. Now the question that I have in these, I mean, we, we could spend a lot of time just reflecting on these two stories, but I just wanted you to recognize that Jesus only said two people had great faith, and neither one of them were the people of God. What does it take, or how does one get faith? Elsie made an allusion to that just a moment ago. She said, it's a gift from God that God teaches us to use. Let's look at that. In the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, we're given a litany of lists of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, patience, peace, uh, self-control, love. What else? Is faith one of those gifts? One of those fruit? What does it say? What does it say specifically? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. Is there, it's a faithfulness. Does anybody else say something other than faithfulness? Mine just says faith. Yours just says faith. Interesting. That's the first one I've ever seen that says something other than faithfulness. What is the difference between faithfulness and faith? Endurance. I'm sorry? Endurance. Endurance? Okay. A willingness to do? Reliable. A reliable, okay. A person who is faithful is a person who is trustworthy in their character. A person who is faithful is a person who can be trusted to do what they say they will do. And this, we are told, is a gift or a fruit that we receive as a result of our relationship with God. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in, He causes all Christians to display these fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit are not natural traits of human personality, but they are the results of the Spirit coming in on us who acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior. So indeed, trustworthiness or faithfulness is a gift from God to us. But is faith a gift of God to us. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Specifically, verse 9 says that faith is a spiritual gift. Now, a spiritual gift is a gift that God gives to His people so that they can do the work that He needs them to do on this earth. Not all people receive the gifts of the Spirit, the same gifts of the Spirit, okay? We all, as Christians, receive the fruit of the Spirit, but we don't all receive the same gifts of the Spirit. And so some of us may get faith, but if we get faith, the gift of the Spirit of men as faith is a spiritual gift that is probably, and most likely, an unusual measure of trust in God beyond that which would be exercised by most Christians. Paul implies, this is another commentator, Paul implies that some Christians have this gift, others do not. And then finally, this is not saving faith, which all Christians possess. This is faith that is given to meet a specific need within the body of Christ. A gift of the Spirit known as faith is not something all Christians get. It's only what's given by God to certain Christians for a specific reason. Because He needs you to exercise this faith in situation. 
And this one commentator that I read said that this isn't saving faith. And I wanted to look at that. What is saving faith? If you look in the book of Romans chapter 10, it says, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Then if you look at Romans chapter 10 verse 17, just a few verses down from that, it says... Romans 10, 17. Anybody? Um, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. And I would submit to you that this is saving faith. Okay? Saving faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In other words, I hear the word of God, I believe it, I receive it, accept it, and act it out upon it. I now have saving. But I would suggest to us that it is not a gift from God. It is something we, if you will, generate from within ourselves. Now, the question is, if indeed we generate it from within ourselves, is it innate in us? What does that mean, the word innate? In other words, does it originate from within our own intellect rather from a learned experience? The word innate means you just know it. You've never learned it, you've never been taught it, you just know it. Would you say that, if, that saving faith or faith is innate or learned? I'm sorry? Innate. You would say it's innate? Okay, and you would say that it's not. I would say it's not. Okay. You are you are born of the image of God. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's innate. You are Christ. The minute you come into this earth, you are innocent. You're pure. You are one of God. <coughs> and uh, it's developed. It's nurtured through your church, through and you're taught about Jesus from the time you're little. Okay. And so it's developed over time. Okay, I can and, see that. And, uh, and it's, it's nurtured through being around your Christian. Like it takes a village to raise a, a, a child. You're in your Christian home. Your home is your church. It's developed. I can see I can see what you're saying. And that's exactly what I was getting ready to say here. I, I personally believe that faith is not in us that we learn it. However, it goes along with what you were just saying. We learn of God's faithfulness through the reading of his Bible, the Bible or through other people's testimonies or through our own personal experience. And as a result, we then believe and have faith in God and his word. In other words, if God says something to me and I find it to be true through my own experience, then I believe it. I trust it. I rely upon it. I act on that faith. And then going back to Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if I'm exposed to the word of God and I believe it, then I act on it. This word that's translated faith from the, from the Greek in the New Testament is the Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis. Mm -hmm. I would say that yes, you can observe it in somebody else and be drawn to it. I, I could say that, yeah. This word pistis means 
a firm belief or a persuasion or a conviction based on hearing. That's what the word pistis means. So the word faith is being translated, or it means a conviction based on hearing or a firm belief based on hearing. The New Testament concept of faith includes the following. Intellectual assent to truth and acting upon, the, upon its requirements and confidence in the person who spoke it. Say it again. Faith includes three things. Intellectual assent to truth. I believe it. Acting on that truth and confidence in the one who spoke it. So, if we generate faith ourselves as a result of believing the message of salvation, what does that look like? How does that, how can you tell if another person is truly living out saving faith and they're not just mouthing it? Because it says in the Bible, you believe? Well, that's great. So do the demons and they shudder. Show me other than just your words of you say you believe. And where's that found? That's found in James chapter 2. And if you look in James chapter 2, you will see Verses 14, 19, 22, and 26. And I'm just going to quickly read those, those four verses. <clears throat> James chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brethren, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? 19. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 22. You see that his, that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. 26. And the body without, just as the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So having examined this section in James, I would say that it appears from the biblical account that faith is not static, but that indeed it must be lived out. Again, going back to this idea that faith is an action, it is a verb. So when I'm discipling someone, when I'm trying to help others become better Christians, it would be appropriate for me, the discipler, to look at their life and say, do I see evidence of peace growing in them? Do I see evidence of true faith growing in them? And how can I see that evidence? By looking at their actions. By looking at the way they're living their life. Are they taking what they say they believe and truly applying it to absolutely every part of their life. Do they walk their talk? So, bringing you all the way back to the very beginning. What is faith? Faith is believing and loving God with all your heart and reaching out to the others and showing that love. You're sharing what you believe. And tagging that, even if you do fall short, everybody errs and make mistakes but if you're grounded in God and, you, and you're given and, and God is screaming inside of you to make a different choice and you act and trust in God and you do make that choice that's fake I agree and no matter how far you fall and how dirty you get he's always there just joke amen <laughs> amen amen well, he instructs us to forgive seven times seventy. I think he would ask us to do only those things which he does himself. Which means every time we fall, he forgives us. This has been very deep, and we could go on for days. I've given you a couple of questions on the back of your hand that 
if we were having our community groups, you could actually go and talk about this stuff with your community group. But since we aren't doing that yet, we're starting that up in a few weeks, at least maybe you can get together with a friend this week over coffee, think about this stuff, and talk about it with one with each other. Um, but these questions are just there for your own edification and for your further discussion of the conversation, and you don't have to worry about writing them. They're on the back of your handout. Um, let's pray. God, thank you so much. This has been a very long sermon, <laughs> but I thank you so much for the content of it. I pray that you would guide us and teach us and help us, Lord, to, to grow even more in understanding what it means to be a Christian, to walk our talk to truly trust you with all of our being, to truly, truly act out our belief system. Father God, I praise you. I thank you for what you've done and are continuing to do in our midst. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.